0: Listener Production
1: Okay, are you recording?
2: Hello fine folk, welcome along to episode 145 of the Howie Games Part A, the fourth in our Ashes Extravaganza series and today we bring you a fella who terrorised batsmen everywhere Mitchell Johnson Edge, straight to Shane Watson, that'll do Mitchell Johnson has knocked over England with a 6 haul. Now, Mitch didn't follow your typical Australian cricket pathway. Far from it. He was spotted by the great Dennis Lilly when Mitch was in his late teens and all of a sudden found himself at the cricket academy. He had wanted to play tennis. From there, it was quite the ride. Dominance, then injury, then his game fell apart as he was struck by mental and physical anguish. Then he roared, and I mean roared back, and delivered one of the truly great Ashes series by an Aussie bowler whilst rocking a truly epic Mastaka.
1: So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood
2: through your mind you confuse and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by In his own quiet, softly spoken way, Mitch explains that life at the top isn't always easy. He talks about living with depression, his love of family and his fierce, fierce desire to win. In real life, Mitch is the complete opposite of the ultra-aggressive, in-your-face-quick that dominated international cricket, which is why he is such a fascinating fella. He's a great chap. Enjoy the story of a man that, at his best, was the world's best Mitchell Guy Johnson. So when you search and then you find Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie I. Come on children, trot with me We want to reach Mount Zionist this man, welcome to the Howie Games. Once terrorised batsmen all around the world. Now he's a father. He looks a bit more relaxed. He's got his own podcast microphone, Sire. <laughs> I am impressed. Miss Johnson, great to see
1: you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Howie. I'm just trying to catch up with you, mate, and your 55 million <laughs> uh, was it views or, or listens, should I say.
2: Well, that's what we say, Mitch. It might be a slight exaggeration of the fact I've got you as 313 test wickets. Let's make it 500 test wickets and 55 million down. I say so you've still got the Mo going, which I'm impressed with,
1: mate. Uh, yeah, I constantly get asked this. Uh, when are you going to bring back the, the moustache? And, you know, it was so good in the ashes and et cetera, et cetera. I actually grew a, a bit of a beard through the winter. Um, so I went that down that way. And I, I really can't grow beards that well. So I really wanted to have a good crack at it. And we bought a property down south, actually, um, which sort of gets into the story of why I got the beard. Um, uh, so I, I grew this beard um, because I've bought a property down south. So to fit in. Um, yes. You need one down shirt. there, sort of yeah. down yelling up way.
2: You need a beard <laughs> yeah. and
1: some boards. Yeah. So um, I, I've done all that and um, yeah, grew the beard. But yeah, I didn't get recognised, actually. It was quite good. Really? Really? Yeah. As soon as I shaved it off, I had people coming up and going, oh, it's Mitch Johnson. Like, <laughs> like genuine, like, people were, like, looking at me going, who's this bloke with the beard? Like, sort of looks <laughs> like Mitch, but so it was quite quite funny. Now,
2: you've, ju- you've just been down at your coastal venue for a couple of days because we had a chat prior to it. Were you doing handyman work down there? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so uh, we bought this property uh, early in the year when... Everyone was going crazy, and um, we, we were fortunate enough to get a property uh, about two and a half acres. And um, yeah, I've become quite handy. Uh, my wife is is a lot handier than I. Um, I will say that she's definitely um, got the smarts when it comes to uh, the the eye. You know, looking at things and a blank canvas. Uh, she's okay. actually doing an interior design course, so she's studying that at the moment. But yeah, she's got that eye and. I try and do some handyman work. I was actually sent down there to do a few um, a few things and I sort of came back, yeah. I didn't. Really want to know done. what you were doing. <laughs> was it
2: like hammer and nail stuff or some, some plumbing? Uh, hopefully not electric because that's no, a dangerous no caper. Electric,
1: no, apl- no electric, no plumbing. Uh, we are doing basically, we got a caboodle kit for the kitchen and the laundry, so I just put that together with my brother-in-law. What's a caboodle kit? Um, from Bunnings. Right, it's yeah, like build you your kitchen. Up. I thought it was yeah. a dog. Yeah, it sounds like a dog, doesn't <laughs> it? No, it's um, no, it's it's a kit that you can buy. It's almost like their their upper range of, of uh, furniture sort of okay. style. Um, it, it's quite nice. It works really well in the house, and uh, it's definitely cheaper than um, going the other way, but. Yeah, we put that together and um, we didn't do too much damage. We, we sort of got it up and it looks all right.
2: <laughs> and, mate, family life, how, how many little ones do you have these days?
1: I've got two. I've got right. a little little boy, um, Leo, who's he's six in March. And he's a brute. And uh, Rubik nine in December.
2: Okay. And so little Leo, does he have any understanding? Like, do do you whack, which we'll get to, there's a clip of (laughs) all your Ashes wickets. I think it's 37 or what it was in that tremendous series. You can just watch them, one, one. Have you sat down with a young fellow and said, have a look at the old boy? I could play a bit.
1: No, but it's funny because I'm I'm actually his coach for the Blast um, this year. Good on you, Mitch. Well, no one put their hand up um, (laughs) when I rocked up to uh, Whitford's down the road and yeah, it was. Um, he's only five. He's just turned five. He did the AFL side of it, um, Auskick, and he loved it. And then cricket came up, and he was like, "I want to do cricket." Um, but more surprisingly, it was actually my daughter. She really wanted to do it, so she's doing cricket at the moment as well. Um, uh-huh. little left armer. Um, she runs in with her right, the ball in her right hand, and then she changes it as she's about to bowl it. So, so hard to pick the in swinger then, which is good. Well, yeah, <laughs> yep. Uh, she's got a bit of my style, I think, but um. Yeah, I was quite. I was sort of. We haven't like pushed our kids into any yep. sports. They just, you know, want to do something. We'll give them a give them a crack. Do it for the term, and if they want to continue on with them, then that's great. So, yeah, Leo. Leo's loving it at the moment. He's um, he actually was playing a lot of golf over the last couple of years. He's only okay. five, and he's been doing golf for for a couple of years. And more money in golf than cricket, eh? Well, oh, some pretty good places to go to as well <laughs> yeah, when um, when everything opens up. But uh, yeah, it's uh. I oh, look, I'm just happy that they're playing sport and they're outdoors, both of them. But it's, um, yeah, I have got the old, oh, Dad, what do you know? Um, it was actually just the other day. I was in the front yard <laughs> working with Leo. We're just having a bit of fun. He puts a stump down and he tries to hit it. He still has a bit of a bent arm. So I'm trying to you know, just say, oh, just bowl it a bit slower, mate. Just get that arm straight. And he does it. Um, and then my daughter came out and she she sort of threw one down and, just told her, oh, that's really good, but just get that um, that bowling arm a little bit higher next to your ear. Oh, what do you know, Dad? And then <laughs> she storms off and um, I could hear the conversation between my wife Jess and her and Jess is trying to tell her, your dad did play at a pretty high level. He was pretty good. I think he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> sure, <laughs> so well, going through that.
2: We, we will get to... Um... <laughs> your thoughts on the game and your love of the game and how it presented you some wonderful opportunities and some difficulties along the way. But I know now as a father with kids slightly older than yours, 11 and 9, and, you know, they're into all sorts of sports. And my daughter's just started playing cricket. I mean, young bloke loves cricket. It's – and I've started going – and playing cricket again now. I was no good in the first place, but the, going back to cricket training so you can train with your son when he gets a little bit older. It, it's just you go to so many games and commentate, and it becomes a bit like a job. But it's 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 made me realise again how much I just love the game of cricket and how privileged I am to get to talk about it. I, I, are you are you embracing cricket again now that you're seeing it through the eyes of your kids?
1: Yeah, I am, and um, I, I get. I, I actually took Leo to a, a wacker game. I think it was their first one-day game they had there this year. And uh, they were doing all the uh, construction on the, uh, the side hill, so it was yep. a little bit disappointing because um, I wanted to take him there with, with his cricket bat and well, – we did. We had the cricket bat and a ball. and But for me it was about going with him and experiencing it together and just sort of just sitting in the crowd and, yeah, just sort of taking it all in and yeah. seeing how he sort of saw it at, at a young age. Um, he was more interested in going at the back and playing cricket, which was good. Um, where there was a few other little ki- um, little kids around, and they all got involved. So, but that's just part of it. And yeah, I guess now for me, I, I was never a, a big cricket snuff. I guess um, I loved playing it, and I was competitive, and but I never really um, got into it like some guys did. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, now looking at it, I. I do see it through their eyes a little bit, and and, and sort of am and really enjoying it. And I don't know. I, I guess doing the blasting, I, I, I finished the other day, and uh, I was taking my son home because they finished a little earlier than my daughter. And she was out in the middle batting. And the first week she did it, she got twenty five runs. And good I was numbers. like, "Oh yeah!" And she, I saw her hit a couple, and you could just see on her face how much she was enjoying it. So, yeah, that made me feel really proud and, and good on the inside, but it's also another thing that I thought about was how good women's sport has has grown, yes. because I think at that age it's okay, but it starts to get a bit harder once they get to sort of twelve, thirteen, fourteen and I, I remember seeing this with a young girl in Townsville when I was playing. She was a really, really good batsman uh, the batsman bats person um, she She would dominate, and then we got to an age where we just got too fast for her. And she even just said to us, look, it's just too hard. Like I love playing the game and, but you just sort of think, I think back about it and go, you know, I wonder what could have happened to her mm. if, you know, the, the game of cricket was, or the women's game was as big as it is uh, back then. So.
2: I, I think it's a great point, mate. And it's, it, it's exploded, hasn't it? I just know yeah. from going to the big bash and, um, women's games being on before and the standard has just got, like you sit there and you watch it before the yep. game and the standard's gone through the roof. I think there's a couple of other things, John as well, and I noticed um, there's a lot more money going into separate change rooms being built and something that I had never thought of that, that's um, been brought to my attention is the uniforms yep. our girls are being made to wear because they want to be able to feel comfortable. So rather than just wearing the boys' uniforms, whatever sport they're playing, they're tailoring them to girls. So yeah. there's one less obstacle for the girls to say, oh, uh, this is not my go because I have to get changed with the boys, or, or I don't like the way the uniform is. It's it's going along leaps and bounds, which is brilliant, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and the boys' dressing rooms stink. So yes, they do, <laughs> they do, they do. Yeah. yeah, they're shocking. But no, the whole the whole um, I think women's sport in general is 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 growing, and it's actually good. I like seeing my daughter grow up now, and and see her have heroes that aren't boys, I guess, or, yeah. or guys. Um, it, it's really it's really good. It gives her an opportunity to. Like I said, I, I was really blown away that she wanted to play cricket. Uh, we didn't even, I would have seen her play in the backyard here and there, but, yeah, I didn't realise how much she wanted to play it. So it's its great. So your
2: journey, you mentioned Townsville, started off in Queensland but done a bit of reading and chatting to a few people and apparently you were there like the, I don't know, the sort of Pete Sampras of North Queensland. You're, <laughs> you're a tennis man. <laughs> Am I over-exaggerating that or not?
1: Ah. Uh- I was I, I, look. I did have a hero, and it was Pete Sampras. Um, right, and I, I do remember those days quite clearly. Um, you know, traveling up the, the east coast from Townsville up to up to Cairns and in between as well. There was Ingham, um, Home Hill, I think there was as well <laughs> uh, from memory. Um, then you go down south, down to Mackay and all in between. So I do remember those days, and they were, they were great days. And um, I, I did want to play. Wimble- uh, I did want to go to Wimbledon by the age of eighteen. That was my dream. And um, yeah, pretty much six months out of high school, um, a cricket opportunity came up that was with Dennis Lee at the fast bowling camp, and then the, the cricket academy, and it all sort of just went from there. So I knew that was an opportunity, but yeah, no regrets. Um, tennis is bloody hard. Were you a lefty <laughs> a, at tennis? No, right hander.
2: Right-handed so, and a big. I picture you as a big server, but what I can't picture is you are the, as people hear now, the calmest, quietest, softly spoken fella out of the sporting arena. So you had the strange fast bowler persona. So were you softly spoken on the tennis court or did you have a bit of the fire and McEnroe to
1: you? Oh, I did throw my racket once up to the top of the net. Um, it, I think it was in Cairns, actually, um, and my dad... Came in and grabbed me and pulled me aside and said, "If you ever do that again, you will not step on a, a tennis court." <laughs> so I, I learned a, a pretty good lesson. I was pretty fiery, but I was very, yeah, still very quiet, I guess, um, from from memory. So yeah, I just enjoy. I think once it's it's weird because I think it was just that that white line fever, uh, um, getting on the court and competing, or, or getting into some sport, even if it's school sport. Like I, I did, I threw the javelin in high school in year twelve. No-one was throwing it at the school carnival. I went and threw it. I won the out of like four boys that threw it, I think. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm throwing at the school boys, Australian school boys in QE2 um, in Queensland, Brisbane. Wow. And um, against, you know, all these these kids that we've been throwing for years, they've all got taped up arms, they're all massive shoulders. <laughs> um, and I absolutely choked that day. <laughs> I remember it <laughs> quite clearly. Um, so nothing much had changed through my career as well as a cricketer. Um, it had those moments, but um, yeah, I, I basically gave everything a go, and, and when I did, I, I had a good crack. So, um, but yeah, I definitely was pretty, pretty quiet through school and and things like that.
2: I always love speaking to the cricketers. I asked them all the same question about the backyard cricket. Set up <laughs> at, at your place, so you know, Greg Chappell's told me about this, Finchie's told me about this, Ricky's told me about this. What was the backyard set up at your joint? And who were you playing with? Like, it's incredible that, um, you know, Matty Wade and, and Tim Payne were playing together as, as crazy, 10 yeah. and 11 year olds. What was, um, uh, what was the Johnson backyard and who were you playing with?
1: Oh, it was my two, two best mates growing up. Um, yeah, we, play, we played front yard at one of the guys' house and then it was backyard at the other, but backyard. So um, a mate, Dingo. We call him Dingo. Dingo, um, I like to say. I'll the just Dingo. say Dingo. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's he's a good man. And um, we'd play in the backyard at his house. And his dad uh, worked for the council, and so we had a, a little bit of equipment to use to get the the pitch right. Ah, so nice. We nice had, a, Dingo. had a decent pitch. Yeah, we had a decent pitch. But we used to play. I remember watching the the West Indies play uh, one day cricket. And they were always my favourite. You know, Curtly Ambrose growing up, he was he was my favourite, but. So we'd be playing in the middle of uh, the hot summer of uh, Townsville, the Ville, and, um, yeah, it'd be stinking hot. So then he had a pool, so we'd jump in and play in the pool afterwards, do classic catches and (laughs) try to do flips and we caught it and things like that. So he had a pretty good setup. So what's the first organised game of cricket you
2: can remember where it was, whites and a proper game of cricket?
1: I was probably about seven years of age and I was playing, yeah, for a club I think. I think it was in Railway Estate and there wasn't much sort of housing around there at the time. It was pretty sort of bare and not much going on there. But um, I remember we, we we trained for a couple of weeks and then we went and played a game and I was out in the boundary and I was just bored shitless. <laughs> I went, what, what is this It was a fine so job. It felt like it. I don't even remember <laughs> bowling. I don't remember batting. All I remember, this is the memory I have, is standing out, on the brown grass and going, this is so hot, like this is so boring. So (laughs) I stopped playing. I didn't play it. And, I mean, I loved playing like backyard cricket, but, yeah, it was um, all the other sports from there, basically tennis and sort of took over.
2: So you you mentioned Dennis Lilly. Now this is one of those famed stories that floats around Australian cricket. I I looked it up. Dennis described you as a once-in-nine-lives prospect. So how, how did you end up bowling in front of Dennis Lilly? Take me take me back to the day.
1: Um, well, I think it was all thanks to my, my cricket club, Wanderers. Uh, they kept pushing me to go to these these cricket camps. Were you uh, dominating
2: at, at, at Wanderers? Were you...? Uh, I don't think so. I think okay. just because
1: being a left-armer, uh, I bowled quick. I didn't know that I bowled quick. I would probably played maybe six, seven A-grade games. From 16, 17 years of age, I was and
2: getting wickets,
1: I think so. Okay, yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, I played juniors there as well um, because it was at the back of my high school, so I just go there after school and we'd, we'd train and um, do all those things. But yeah, I, I, from memory, it was just yeah. I, I think I was just competitive again, um, just just bowled fast, just wanged them down, and um, yeah, I didn't really didn't really think much of it, and I was getting invited to these camps and. I'd say no because tennis was still my priority, and then it was yeah six months out of high school. I actually had the conversation with dad about joining the army or, or doing a course at, at, at TAFE, but um, and then two weeks later I went to this camp. So it this is yeah, after they, they, high
2: school, so what, yeah. you're,
1: you're eighteen or something. Uh, I was still um, I was still seventeen okay. at the stage, yeah. Right, but um, I was getting close to eighteen and no job, sort of no direction. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was probably looking like the Army, to be honest. And, um, yeah, I mean, like I, I would have done it. Um, I had mates that joined and um, that was the thing in year 12. They'd come to, to the school to try and recruit. So all the, you know, the Army, Air Force and the, and the Navy. So,
2: geez, John, I would have been hiding in the toilets when those blokes come around. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, to me. Few, I think there
1: was a few that did. Um, <laughs> I actually had a mate that joined and he, was a, he, he um, drove the tanks. Um, wow. He's only just retired a couple of years back. But, huh. yeah, so I, I basically would miss out on all these camps and this opportunity came up and I thought, you know what, I'll give it a crack. And Lee Caseron was in the nets um, in the afternoon when Dennis came up and spoke to me and I was bowling 140s at him into his ribs. Um, and I still didn't know that it was quick. I was They were just saying, oh, you know, letting them go, left arm angle, this and that, and saying, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> had my had my long hair with um the undercut, and it didn't did. didn't really uh didn't really look like a cricketer. Um, still had the physique of a, a tennis player, I think. I was pretty skinny. I uh, had the long arm, very long arms. I've got the um, the old monkey arms. Um, but yeah, it's um I sort of had that physique of a of a, of a tennis player. But yeah, it went from there. Basically, that night I went home back to Townsville. So did Dennis say to, anything to you the day? Yeah, he just said, um, yeah, basically just along the lines of, um, how are you? Um, I'm Dennis um, yeah, You're bowling pretty quick there, mate, like left armour, like et cetera, et cetera. He said, oh, I'm just going to ring my mate, um, Rod Marsh, basically, and um, have a chat with him. And I was just like, what's going on? Like I didn't really understand. <laughs> huh. And then, yeah, by the end of that day, that was sort of the evening and um, – I had to get back for a flight back to Townsville. And they said, "Look, you're going to have to pack your bags um, and head down to Adelaide. They've got the cricket academy there. The under 19, Australian under 19 team, is getting ready to go over to England um, and and play over there. But yeah, we just want you to go and train and see how you go. And <laughs> so I did. I went down like the, I went down the following day. I think it was um, never travelled outside of, of Queensland. I think Brisbane." going to Brisbane that camp was my first flight um and yeah went down to adelaide with no expectations but yeah I went down and, and just bowled as fast as I could they were impressed and they they picked me in the australian under 19 team to go So to you England. went on the tour to England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just out of nowhere. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's,
2: it's funny isn't it because um
1: everyone has a different path it's Yeah, it's they do, but
2: in australia it's often that like that's a um that's a Pakistani pathway, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where a bloke's plucked out of nowhere yep. because Imran's seen him and, and then he's playing. Yeah. Whereas here it's, you know, it's it's under 13s, at schoolboys, under fifteen,
1: 17s, 19s. Yeah, there was that structure, yeah. I mean, no, that's the same as Boomerah. Boomerah was the same. I remember yeah. when he came into the team and um, it was uh, Sachin had seen him at a, a training session that he came to and said, this guy's playing for us. And he was literally playing like within months, I think it was. It might have been even weeks. And he's in the nets bowling to me and he's hit me in the head third ball. I was like, (laughs) great.
2: So what was the adjustment that you're out of school, you're thinking about joining Mm. the Army, all of a sudden you're on an under-19 tour in England. What was the – what obstacles presented themselves that you immediately learnt you need to overcome, Jono?
1: Oh, it was pretty overwhelming at the time. I mean, I I rocked up. Damien McKenzie from Queensland um, always sort of tells a story uh, when we see each other, but – I've rocked up to the cricket academy and I've got my long hair. I've got a Slayer shirt or a Metallica shirt on. And those, that bloody, it was awesome. It was so good. I've no doubt it was, mate. Yeah. I wish I still had it, to be honest. I think I've lost it, but um, probably in thongs, um, it probably boardies or, or short, you know, footy shorts or something like that. So they were like, who the hell is this bloke? Macca was just like, this isn't, this bloke's at the wrong place. But um, they were all scared of me as well. They thought I was like, Gonna stab him or something like that. It's
2: <laughs> a wild man it. from North
1: Queensland. Yeah, so <laughs> they'd heard a little bit about me, like through that camp, um, so quickly. But yeah, not yeah. I basically went down there and I just um, just tried to fit in, um, listen as much as I could. I was really like a fish out of water. I, I I was I remember thinking these guys are serious. Like you know, I'd played in towns with A grade cricket and I thought oh it was pretty good. But this was a, this was another level and I was like, I was blown away by it. And I actually remember, I think I was going to the toilet one night and I just sort of thought to myself, this is an opportunity. This is a real opportunity for me to uh, make something uh, of myself. I mean, at that stage I was like living in Townsville, I was smoking cigarettes, I had a few um, um, bongs here and there. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what, I've got to like pull myself together here. This is I need to make the most of this. I don't know what's going to happen out of it, um, but I need to make the most of it. So, yeah, I pretty much gave myself gave myself the best chance at that time, the best chance that best I did it the best way that I knew I could do it at that time. So, right. um, yeah, so I had a crack and um, got picked in that 19s tour. Went over, had some good experience. I was over there playing, um, learned a lot. A lot of the guys were just you know really helpful as well. Um, I know there was a few people that probably weren't happy as well with how I went through the or skipped the system. Yep. Um, I, I could hear those sort of those rumors going around, but for me, I didn't even bother about it. It was, it was. More, I was just trying to focus on what I needed to, to do, and so yeah, I just sort of gave everything I could. But then all my back problems started to come in as well. Um, you know, not having the the load under under me coming from from tennis to to cricket was very different on the body.
2: So what happened to the back? How old were you when it when it packed in for the first time?
1: Uh, I think I I was eighteen. Uh, I'd I just picked up a contract with Queensland as a rookie, and yeah, I ended up having so sort of that first time was actually in, uh, it was in the Sri Lanka. It was in Sri Lanka in nineteens World Cup, so I was eighteen. I remember playing. Yuvraj Singh was in the um, huh. in the semi final. We played him, and he was just pumping everyone. Like, I think he got like fifty off like twenty rocks or something like that. Um, But I remember going into that game feeling quite sore in my back and one thing I picked up was when I'd lay on my back to do a stretch when you put your legs over one way to the other, I I, I physically couldn't do it. My back wasn't um, twisting so I couldn't um, do it and I thought that's got to be something a bit more than just a sore back. And as time went on, I, I, I played actually that game at the semi-final, we lost it and we went back home. And I played a game in Queensland for like, I think it was a Colts or second 11 team. And I remember I bowled two overs and I was really, really sore, really, really sore. And I bowled my third over and I went back to fine leg, but I couldn't really walk. I was like every step I took was just a dagger in the back. And I was, yeah, that was my first stress fracture. And I, I sort of knew from there what signs um, to pick up on, and it was that rolling my back, and I remember a couple of occasions when I did start to feel sore again throughout my early career. Yeah, I, I just knew, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to play so badly, and I had I felt like I was, um, you know, at a age where you, you feel like you're in a rush, yes. and you need to need to play, and if I don't play now, I'm never going to play. Um, you know, young age of twenty. 21, I'm starting to freak out. Um, but, yeah, I lost my contract for Queensland, I think, at 22, 20, 23. And, yeah, that was a, a good wake-up call as well. Even though I was injured, it, it made me work harder after that. Um, I really, yeah, needed to find a way to, to play because I felt like I could still play for Australia at that age. I thought but there was still a chance.
2: Well, along those lines, mate, things progress pretty quickly. I, I didn't realise this. You'll have to tell me if this is right. Two thousand and six, seven Ashes, the famous Ashes. Oh. You were, were you twelfth man for all five tests? Yeah, yep. So, what was it like sliding into that dressing room? Because that is that the Ashes when Warney and Langer and McGrath all retired.
1: Yep, absolutely wow. amazing. Absolutely that's, amazing to be a part so that's of. That's
2: the Gillies and the punters, yeah. and wow, yeah. how, what was it like walking into those sheds?
1: Oh, it was almost terrifying. Um, I think. I just sort of, again, I just I was I was one of those guys that would go into the room and I'd just listen to what guys were saying. I didn't say much, but I was always listening and taking in things and, um, you yeah, know, throw a few things away as well. I know it's not going to work, but you just pick up on little things. And, and that tour for me, being involved in that, I, I sort of said to myself, I, I want to learn as much as I can this trip, learn how the guys prepare. I want to see what they do, how they... How they go about it, how they warm up in games, how they um, after they finish a game, what they do, just all those little things. There were times. I I mean, I travelled away playing state cricket as well, so I was sort of back and forth. So I'd be gone at the start of it after warm ups, and then so that first ball at at that Brisbane uh, when the Harmison ball, I was actually driving just outside the um, the gates. And I heard this loud roar. And I was like, oh, no, Lang's out. And we turned the radio on. Perfect day in Brisbane. First ball, the first test match. Whoa, wide delivery. Taken a slip by the skipper. The nerves are showing already. It was harmless and he's bowled at the second slip. Like, oh, my God. And he just sort of felt um, something special was going to happen for some reason. I don't know. It was really strange. But yeah, no, it was it was a great moment. I, I mean, I remember sitting down with with Warnie actually, um, and he worked on my autograph at Sydney Cricket Ground. So we did paper like he, he comes up and goes, "Ah, oh, mate, give us a look at your autograph." I was like, "Oh, okay." And it was just like, "Yeah." And He goes, "That shit." All right, let's work <laughs> on it. And he starts doing like, and I looked at his like autograph, and he's all these big swirls of S's and W's, and so he was trying to sort of. Somewhere similar to that, and I like. Eventually, I worked it out, and I came up with my, my autograph. So
2: it's I funny think, you I say think... that because I, I sat down with him in a break last year at the Australia India, and he's like, "Show me your autograph." I said, but "I don't need to sign. I don't need to sign it at the bank." He's like, "Show me it," and he's like, "Yep, that's shit." And he's like, <laughs> "And he told me he's designed about eight blokes' autographs, and you're yeah. one of the names he brought up." So it's a yeah. true
1: story. Well, yeah, and and the roomie's got proof of it as well. He's actually he grabbed one of the, the sheets. Of paper, and he framed it. And at the end of the test, he showed me. And so that was his little bit of memorabilia. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy.
2: Back to Mitch in a moment. Hope you all enjoyed our Ashes Extravaganza, Jimmy Anderson, Alan Border, David Bumble, Lloyd. Funny, funny man. And now, Mitch, the pod will actually be taking a short break now while I commentate some cricket. But we are returning at this stage on the 1st of February. Don't worry, I'll drop you an update in your feed to let you know we're coming back when we get a little bit closer. It has been a record year for the show as far as downloads and audience growth goes, which is all, of course, due to you legends who listen and share the show with your crew. I've had lots of people coming up to me during the first two test matches telling me about their favourite episodes and how they enjoy the show, how they've shared it with their friends, and that is super, super cool. Thank you. It makes me smile every time it happens. So thank you all from me to you for all of your continued support of the show without you there's no podcast it's as simple as that we will be back bigger and better in 2022 the normal episodes the artist series looks like a goer once again and possibly a new idea we've been working on anyway as I said Starter Feb will be rolling again with a supreme athlete dual world champion Jana Pittman these days known as Dr Yana Pittman. Yana pushed herself beyond the limit time and time again when she was competing, and now, as a doctor, can explain exactly what the body goes through when it is under enormous athletic stress.
0: I have to keep going. If you pull back here, you're going to lose the race and you're out. And all of a sudden, I just realised, even though I was in so much pain, I had another gear. So I just went into that sixth gear and it, and it worked. And as a, don't get me wrong, afterwards I was beyond sick, like really sick on the ground for a long time. But I realised I'd prefer to be like that and then be really happy with the outcome. And so a couple of times I pushed that theory and that threshold and eventually my body got used to it. So it automatically would break that pain threshold if I needed to.
2: So when you talk about being sick and vomiting, you're uh, very obviously qualified to answer this. Why does your body react to that? Uh, in that way, medically, why do you vomit when you've pushed yourself to that point?
0: I think it, I mean it, I, I'll try it in layman's terms as much as possible, but yeah. it's it's poison. So it's literally the so the pH in your body becomes so acidic that oh. it you, you throw up any type of, it's basically revolting against the the acidity and the pH you've taken to. So like an average person, I reckon, lactates, if they push themselves really hard in a gym session or something, would probably get up to about 10 or 12. They used to take lactates of us in training and we could get them up to 22 and 23. Now, if I injected that amount of lactate into you, you'd probably die. <laughs> Maybe not yourself because right. you're sporty, but someone oh, who's no, not I'm had any Inject it into me now and I would die.
2: <laughs> so, so this is your body expelling it anyway? As much yeah. as you can.
0: And you're just sick. Huh. Yeah, so I don't know. It's funny because I'm, I'm not sure that the lactate would actually build up in the tummy. It's in the bloodstream. So, I mean, you, you might more than likely if you did a urine test, for example, you'd see a very, very high level of acidity in the urine. Um, but it's it's not for the faint-hearted. So you don't want to push your body like that very often.
2: That's Jana Pittman when the show returns in early February. Back to Mitch. So mate, your first Test match, uh, November two thousand and seven. Your Test debut, given your cap from Glenn McGrath versus Sri Lanka, and your first Test match wicket, Samara Weera caught Gilly of all things. And Bill was commentating and goes off his chops, and then Richie <laughs> comes in. So it's um, it's a brilliant soundtrack. What are your memories of that first Test and that first wicket? Congratulations to Mitchell Johnson, his first Test win. That is a great moment. He's picked up his first. the first of many, I think.
1: He's uh, looks to me to be a good natural bowler. I remember Andrew Simon's coming up and rubbing my head off, uh, as he <laughs> always. Did. That's a customary <laughs> thing he did, um, and I remember that from playing Queensland with him. But oh, I just remember so many things of that. I remember that wicket. I'm glad you said the name because I always struggle with it. Summer <laughs> uh, <of> era. You sort of got there. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, I just I remember that celebration and, and getting the first wicket, uh, Gilly catching it, um, and and like I said, I remember seeing all the guys' faces like quite clearly, and um, just the smiles on their faces and how happy they were, and I was just like, that's that's you know it's a great feeling because. You know, you're doing it together. But they were so proud of me at that moment. Um, so that, that, that really sort of uh, stuck with me. Um, yeah, receiving my, my baggy green at, at my home ground, um, I was actually quite fortunate enough to have my baggy green at my home ground and then retiring at my home ground in Perth.
2: Yes, of course. So of course. Um,
1: it, was quite, it was quite nice, quite a special thing. But
2: Where is it yeah. these days? Is it pride of place or is it in the back of the sock drawer?
1: Uh, it's in a, in a safe, yeah. Okay, good. We, we we pulled it out the other day. Um, yeah, we pulled it out the other day because um, my neighbours actually did a cake for my fortieth, and they did the baggy green. Ah. And my wife goes, "Oh my god, this stinks! It's still like sweat and like that smell of like probably beer and different <laughs> yeah. things, you know." So it was pretty pretty horrible. I should really air it. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, that, that receiving that baggy green was it was a special moment. Whoa, there's the drums, man. Well, there right on it goes, and it fits, And especially to receive it by Glenn McGrath, uh, who I was on that 07 World Cup team. I was in that squad. Ah, oh, of course. And I actually um, was so petrified to ask him about getting a shirt from him at the end of the, the tournament. <laughs> and I walked up to him, I think it was against South Africa the first game when he just dominated him. And I just said, oh, Pidge, can, do you reckon I can get a, a shirt afterwards? And I'm not a collector or anything like that. I, I've never, I've probably got a couple of couple of shirts and I've got Gilly's pad actually he's, um, retire, uh, when he retired at uh, Adelaide Oval. Huh. Uh, his cricket, um, wicket keeping pad. But, um, yeah, so I, I asked him and he goes, yeah, no worries. I said, oh, thank God. I said, I was so petrified and asking. he goes, why? You're an idiot. Like, why wouldn't you just ask me? Like, of course I'm going to give you a shirt. <laughs> So um, he was pretty chilled and he signed it for me and that's um, hung up in my gym uh, next door to this room, but um, so is Gilly's pad and my first uh, wicket and stump and game all sort of done up. My wife has done that for me, but yeah.
2: You're explaining that you were shy to go up and ask Glenn McGrath Um, and, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with you on the radio at Triple M Cricket over the years and not really knowing you beforehand, I always pictured you as this ferocious bloke and then we mentioned at the start, you're such a quiet, softly spoken fella. And we'll get into, you know, your heyday of cricket. But how did you go about being the Mitch Johnson that's just that really quiet, lovable fella to that ferocious fast bowler mentality. Is it something just happens when you get on the ground or do you have to make a conscious effort or did you develop it through your career? Because when you were going, Mitch, you were frightening and you were in people's faces yet off the ground, bloody hell, you, you know, you'd be hugging babies and helping grandmas across the tr- street type <laughs> of material. But tr- truly.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of the anger is probably it was probably um, more about me that came out it was never when I, I sort of thought about this in recent times actually, and I guess that's what you do when you mm. retire from from professional sports you, you start to reflect a bit more and people are talking about it a bit more um, you can have those conversations you're a bit more closed off when you're playing I guess um, but yeah I sort of I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like I think the times that I lost control and I was a bit too like too aggressive they were the times when I was frustrated at myself more than anything. Okay. So, um, and I knew that deep down. So it could be like I could be going up against A B de Villiers or Virat Coley. and there's already that bit of tension there anyway. There's, you know, the best player um, coming up against the best players and um, having that competitiveness and, and that's what I really thrived on. But it got to a point sometimes where, you know, they might get on top of you a bit. And I'd just be frustrated more at myself because I'm a perfectionist as well, which is – it's it's not a good thing. Yep. Uh, I, I guess it, it was okay um, at times through my career, but um, it's, it's a real hard thing to um, control, I think, because we're not perfect. And um, I went through a real bad stage of it actually when uh, – I think it was before I did my toe in 2011 for a couple of years there. I, I, if I didn't bowl the ball I wanted to bowl – I would get so angry, and I'd take it out on myself, but I'd also take it out on the batsman. So there was a real, it was a real bad time where I needed, to, I needed to really learn how to control that because it was more about myself, not what I was um coming up against. So uh, I went through that, um, learned a lot, um, and then was able to sort of harness it, I guess, and which is really important. That's what Dennis Lee used to talk about as well. A lot of Other uh, fast bowlers, I mean, uh, Andy Bickle talks about it when when I played with him, Casper, all those guys, um, they they all talk about harnessing it. So, yeah, I was able to do that and, um, yeah, it was was pretty natural. It came pretty natural to me because I think of that competitiveness. Um, I wanted to win for the team. I wanted to do the best job that I could uh, for the team. Um, Yeah, just doing it for Australia, really.
2: Mate, it's a great explanation. Looking, there's some specific stuff I want to ask you about because I I wrote a bit of stuff down. Your Mm -hmm. sixteenth test versus South Africa at the Wacker, like you you were becoming established. You were taking your ones and twos and threes. Yeah. um, like I can remember, you know, Warney famously against the Windies when he got seven for him. it was like, wow, who's this bloke? Yeah. Uh, slightly earlier on his career, but I yeah. remember it was like, wow, look at this Mitch Johnson against South Africa. sure Johnson is probably the quickest of the Aussies now.
1: Oh, it's straight up in the air. It'll go. Peter Siddle is taking a very easy catch. Eight for
2: sixty-one. You had seven for twelve at one point, and you rarely see. In Test match cricket, someone that elevates themselves beyond. You know, we spoke to Jimmy Anderson earlier on, and I remember watching him in Adelaide, and it was like, under the lights, no one could play him. Yeah. You rarely see that in Test cricket, but that's the first time it was Mitch Johnson. This bloke's unplayable at the moment and just destroyed a test team that was full of superstars. Oh,
1: yes, now Mitchell Johnson strikes. That is the double whammy. That's out! ability to get that ball just to move away a little bit and he sucks the batsman in. Yeah, well, that's what drove me. It was a team full of superstars. That's what That's what I always enjoyed. I always enjoyed the challenge of playing against the best players. Um, it's funny, like I, I always, I never openly said it when I was playing, but I'd target the top four. I always wanted to get the top four.
2: Okay.
1: Um, you know, it was never, you know, a reality really when you, you can't get all four um, it might be the occasion, um, but that was the goal. you know you go after him.
2: Leading edge out. Got him. That's six foot. That's a career best
1: for Mitchell Johnson. <laughs> oh, well, a bit. So yeah that moment at the, the whack I still look bowling performance wise it, it looks like my best one of my best performances. Um, well, it's my yeah. highest wicket taking anyway. There he is. Oh, that's my goal. Out, out, yes, has
2: got eight. Yes, oh, he's got eight, the bouncer.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Wow, Mitchell Johnson. But it still wasn't uh, something um yeah, I, I, I do get asked it a lot actually and they, they it does get brought, brought up. Oh, that must have been amazing, amazing feeling. And at the time, bowling it was, but we lost that match. Yes. So it was, you know, I was depleted at the end as well. I was like, oh, great performance individually, but it was like, I can't celebrate that like it was yeah I was in there for the win so and that's how I've always been through my career I think like I get asked the, the question about individual performances and it's always like answer back with a team sort of thing but that was I don't know that's just a genuine feeling as well like I don't do it because um, I'm trying to take it away uh, the, the, the limelight mm-hmm. or anything like that it's just more I'd love loved winning with the guys that was more enjoyable and if I did, did bowl well and, and got wickets, then that was great. I, I guess the, the thing that I sort of got frustrated with times was um, when you play your role in the team and you didn't get the wickets and it was sort of talked about outside, yep. that's where I struggled at first, especially early on in my career. I didn't understand like the media side of it. Um, you know, I didn't understand why people outside that were watching the game would sort of comment on it. That um, was a pretty, pretty long process for me to, to understand because I, I guess – we all want to be liked as well and that's how I felt at the time. I was like, oh, what have I done wrong? Like, I've yeah. done my job. Like, I may not have got the wickets but um, you know, I, was, I was aggressive. I, I did what I was asked, I had a couple of chances go down, could have easily gone the other way. Uh, so, yeah, I, I sort of went through that as well and um, once I, I sort of understood all that then things were better but, yeah.
2: So we're talking about South Africa. You then went to South Africa, Jono, and ended up mm. becoming um, – the Test Cricketer of the Year, you know, the Sir Gary Sober's Test Cricketer of the Year. But your performances in that South Africa were extraordinary. I don't want to get stuck too much on, yeah. on the cricket. But uh, <laughs> so you, your batting was coming good in South Africa. You, you've made your way to 96, not out. Yeah. In the air, away, over mid-on, and it'll go for four and take him to 96, 12 from the over. 460 for eight. You're out there with Sids and then Sids gets knocked over. <laughs> and gone. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? This time the feet are in the right place and South Africa can afford a smile. And then Hilfie comes out oh. for his first innings in Test cricket. You're on 96. We'll get to what happened, but did you say anything? Like, you're on 96, Jono. Did you say anything to the Tasmanian as he walked out?
1: Pressure now on uh, Ben Hilfenhaus to try and hang in there with Mitchell Johnson, just four away from the 100. Well, you, you wouldn't think you'd have to say anything in that situation, but, yeah, um, from memory, I just think, uh, just watch the ball. Sw- I think he was swinging him away a bit. Um, look, if it's outside off stump, just let it just leave it. You don't have to hit it. And then a couple of balls later, same sort of thing, just nicked it off, and I was like, oh.
2: to Hilfenhaus on debut.
1: Is stranded on 96. Oh dear! Oh dear! But you know what? I was a little bit gutted, but at the same time, I was like, "That's it's not my job as well to, to score runs. I'll take 96 any day." So, um, but you
2: did you did make a Test hundred on that too? 123, yeah. 100 off 66 balls hit Dale stain for six to bring up your hundred.
1: Oh hello! Hello! Yes, you little beauty! A sixer wins it. What a moment for Mitchell Johnson! What a way to go to 100! That's a stunning
2: performance. You ask the batsmen, and they're like, "Oh, their first Test hundred. You know, you can't believe it. Blah blah blah, etc. etc. It changes your life. But what's it like as a bowler? Well,
1: there's a couple of things to this one because. um my partner, Jess, um, was over there at the time and we'd had a fight, I think, that night, oh, no. the night before, and I told her not to bloody turn up um, to the game. <laughs> right. And she's like, nah, I'm turning up. You're going to score 100. I was like, <laughs> no, you're not turning up. I don't want you there. Like, Anyway, next morning came around and she's like, I'm coming to the game because you're going to score 100. And I was like, oh, you're right, And I went out there and scored 100 and um, <laughs> The funny thing was, as a bowler, I, I didn't know what to do. celebration was like I'm thinking before that sort of came around, I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to get too excited because I got stranded on 96 <laughs> in the two tests before. And I sort of thought, oh, but what do I do? If I get a hundred, what do I do? Like do I, I think I kiss the badge. Like that's what most batsmen do. Like that's a pretty <laughs> – so, yeah, I, I took off the helmet, hit started. Bit of a top edge, I'll take it, though, off Dale Stane. he was a bit tired. um, So, you know, I can't take full credit there. But, um, yeah, I I sort of remember taking the helmet off and kissing the badge and hands up and all the boys were, like, pumped and I made sure I I saw Jess and gave her a (laughs) wave as well and... (laughs) And she gave it to me when I came home that night, I back to the hotel, and she was like, I told you, I told you. If I didn't turn up, if I didn't go to that game, it would have been like, you would have been so upset. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right.
2: It, it was also on that tour, mate, where, again, we talked about the eight wickets, but there was a test match where you hit Callis. He retired hurt.
1: Durban. Oh, that's a beauty from Johnson, and it's lifting Now, where's that struck, Callis? Oh, he's down. He's having a very tough time of it Cullis. another South African that's going to have to leave because of a, a wound Oh, this blood oh dear oh dear and lots of it
2: this is nasty Mitchell Johnson has been very aggressive today that's a, a cut to the chin so Jack Cullis leaving the field another South African batsman retiring hurt at the hands of some fiery bowling from Mitchell Johnson you hit Smith. He retired hurt.
1: Chill Johnson is bowling it, and uh, the pace is the undoing of the South African captain. It's self-preservation there rather than anything else. Punches it off the glove. South Africa. The dressing room taking a blow on the hand. Of course, Johnson broke the the left hand in Sydney, and now he's taken another one. News is Skipper Smith is off. He's injured
2: again. This time the right hand. And then it was this bloke's not only quick, he's frightening. I've had Kevin Peterson on this podcast and he talked about the English fear facing you in the dressing rooms. Jimmy Anderson talked about um, that you just bowled that length where he was scared to go out and bat. How can you use intimidation and when you're such a softly spoken fellow, what's it like when you do hit someone? Because you being you, that's not your aim.
1: Yeah, i um- I remember that test um, because we got peppered by uh, Dale Stane. Um, there was something about the tide or something that oh, changes yeah, there. Their... When
2: the tide comes in, the, the pitch changes at Durban something and then like it goes
1: that. out. And yeah. it, was, it, it definitely changed because it was pretty flat and then all of a sudden off the length it was just like flying through. And I think Huss and Husey um, both got hundreds or, or they dug in there anyway. I, I'm pretty sure they got hundreds um, and got us, got us in that game. But, yeah, I came out and I just went, I'm just going to bowl as fast as I can. Um, and I'd already broken Smith's hand um, previously uh, when he came out in that Sydney, uh, Sydney test and batted on uh, with a taped up hand, basically. And uh, that was pretty pretty amazing what he did there. But
2: And then you knocked him over in the second last over of the day. Yeah,
1: pretty lucky with that crack. Uh it helped me out a bit. But you take him. Um, yeah, my word. That's part of the game. No, oh, he did it! Mitchell Johnson's done! It.
2: Australia
1: win the third test match at the Sydney Green Ground and what a delivery it was. But yeah, your aim isn't I guess you're not there to try and put people in hospital, but at the same time it is part of it and I guess at that part at that time in my career um, I wanted to be intimidating. I'd say I remember watching the West Indies play and how intimidating they were. I remember Curtly Ambrose, he was one of my very favorites. And I just love the way that he gave um, gave it to Batsman. Like he seemed like he was pretty quiet generally, um, would bowl it, rip in, bowl the short ball, be intimidating. I reckon it sort of came from there, to be honest. Um, very different bowlers, but yeah, that same sort of attitude, I guess. Um, and and like he was up for it when when Batsman went back at him. So I guess I sort of felt the same way. And um, look it doesn't matter how how you get guys out it doesn't matter if you retire them. it doesn't that all doesn't matter it's all part of part of the game i think and um yeah it's pretty funny now like i look at it and i look back and with everything that's going on with Yuzi. um yes. well i shouldn't say it's not funny um i don't mean it like that but um yeah it did change me afterwards um with how how the game cuz that was that was solely my game was to intimidate and that was what was spoken about when we went to that Ashes series in thirteen fourteen, that was my role. Three overs of fast, um, didn't even have to pitch it up. It was just getting aggressive and getting in the faces of the England uh, batsmen. Um, so how, how, did that,
2: how did what
1: happened to Philip? Well, it made me. It just made me think of all the times that I bowled to people and um, you got so close to you know maybe missing their helmet or I don't know what it was. It, I guess it's just one of those. One of those things where, um, yeah, you just reflect on a bit and go, well, I could have, could have happened to, to someone, but yeah, you can't think like that. It's, we we're, we're all we're all playing the game. It's um, oh, I did I do, sorry, everything I did um, when I played the game was in within the rules, um, and you know, guys have got good protection. Guys yeah. at that level are skillful enough. You know, they can play the game, and um, yeah, I. I don't have any regrets on how I've I've gone about my game Um, because if I did, I don't think it's, you know, I'd be pretty pretty sad about it to be honest Um, because that was solely my game was to be aggressive, especially that back end anyway.
2: Talking about bouncers, John. I frequent listeners to this show know that I have a couple of kids Mm -hmm. and the one that's most interested in the guest, ask the question. So you now have a question from my nine-year-old, cricket-obsessed, footy-obsessed, fishing-obsessed at the moment. All he wants to do is go fishing. His name is Mac, but he has a self-styled nickname, the Big Penguin. Right. So are you ready uh, to hear from the Big Penguin? (laughs) Well, he came home the other day and he said, I was in the nets by myself, Dad, trying to bowl bouncers. Now, the Big Penguin's about as high as the stumps, and I said, I'm not sure that's your game, (laughs) but this this is what he's got for you. Hey, Mitch, Big Penguin here. Mum and I were watching you on YouTube this morning while I was eating my cereal. Your bouncers were so big. How do you get them to bounce so much? And how do you train for that? And, by the way, Mum loved watching you on SAS last season. A lot of love for you in my house, Jono. Too much love for my uh, liking.
1: (laughs) That's okay. No, it's a great question. Um, And it's a question I get asked a lot um, about the bouncer. I think it was just... That was just my length, to be honest. Um, you know, some guys have a, a good length. Glenn McGrath had a, a really good length on a dime and could do it day in, day out, whereas generally I could just bowl my bouncer. And it's supposed to take it out of you, but for some reason it just, I don't know. My, my, my thought on it was, um, and this is going to sound pretty harsh, I guess it's sort of, well, it is what it is, but yep. my, my idea of bowling a bouncer was to put a hole through the batsman. That was my... So I wanted, when, when I say that is it's I meant to bowl the bouncer. I wanted to bowl the bouncer. It's not just, OK, I'm just going to bowl a bouncer here just to, you know, unsettle his feet. I meant to bowl a bouncer. I want to bowl it. It was to, you know, put a bit of uh, intimidation factor into it.
2: That's the end of Mitchell Johnson Part A. Plenty more good stuff and wickets in Part B.
0: Listener.